It's good to uh, be back. Had a um, weekend off last weekend, and uh, I hated to miss, honestly, but um, Darlene and I had a great time. <laughs> but it's good to be back, and um, it's awesome to come and to anticipate um, what God's going to do in this place. And uh, so we're just grateful that you're here this morning. We're in a series on grace, and for the past six weeks, we've been talking about the grace of God. Uh, actually, the truth about God's grace, looking at some um, pictures of what the grace of God is all about. And uh, this came about from a conviction of mine that we, like we do with a lot of language in the church, we kind of throw it around. And uh, grace is one of those terms that we use a lot, but we don't often... Uh, talk in depth about what it is and what it means and how it lives itself out in our lives. If you've heard nothing else (laughs) these past few weeks, I hope you've heard this. God is for us. God is for us. God is not only with us, but he's also for us. God is on our side in the best sense of the word. We've looked at saving grace. We've talked about sustaining grace, healing grace, Liberating grace. Last week, uh, Dr. Wilcox talked about prevenient grace, which um, I tried to define for you a week ahead of time so you could come prepared to hear that. And I heard great things about Kent's sermon. And today I want to look at offering grace. Not offering grace before we sit down to eat a meal, but offering forgiveness to other people. Offering forgiveness to people in the way that Christ offered and offers forgiveness to you and me. The truth is God doesn't intend for us just to receive grace. He wants us to pass it on. He wants us to offer grace and forgiveness to other people. Because God has blessed you, He wants you to bless other people. Because God has cared for you, He wants you to care for other people. And because God has forgiven you, He wants you to forgive other people. Jesus said it like this, give as freely as you have received. Give as freely as you have received. Whatever you have been given by God, and you've been given much, you need to offer it to other people. You need to pass it on. Forgiveness is perhaps God's most gracious gift. And several months ago, we talked about how to receive that gift of grace. And what I suggested was that it's very difficult to receive forgiveness, to receive grace. And today, what I want to talk about is how we give it away, how we extend it. How do we extend real grace to people? One of our core values as a church is that we are a grace-giving community. But what does that really mean? Does that live in here, in each one of us? How do we offer real forgiveness to those who have hurt us, who have hurt us deeply? Well, we do it in at least four ways. And I want to tell you something before we kind of launch into this. We're going to break this message up into three parts, which isn't unusual. But we're going to give you opportunity to respond during each part. So I'm going to speak for a few minutes. I'm going to get out of the way and we're going to have some time to pray, to respond to what God's saying to us this morning. So four ways that we begin to offer real grace. And the first way is this. 
And it's so important. It's by remembering. Remembering how much we've been forgiven by God. How quickly we forget. Don't we? I'm always baffled by myself and by others who so quickly forget what God has done. It boggles my imagination when someone is forgiven. Someone has lived a life that has just been difficult. And instead of becoming a gracious person, that person becomes judgmental and rigid. I don't understand how that happens. But I have a clue, and I think it has something to do with remembering what God has done for us. We need to remember how much grace, how much forgiveness we've received from Jesus Christ. Paul wrote these words to the church at Ephesus. They may be familiar. This is what he said to the Christians there. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Circle, underline, highlight the phrase in Christ. It appears more often in the New Testament than any other phrase. In Christ, in Christ. In Christ, we're not forgiven because we've earned it. We're not forgiven because we deserve it. We're not forgiven because we promise never to sin again or we promise to be good boys and girls. We're forgiven because Jesus Christ died for each one of us. And some of us have put our faith in that act. That's why we're forgiven. God loved the world so much that He gave His only Son. Understanding, remembering this is a starting point for forgiveness and for us being able to offer to other people. It's a fact that if you haven't received forgiveness, if you don't experience it, if you don't live into it, if you don't feel forgiven, you can't offer forgiveness to anybody else. You can't give what you don't have. And there are too many of us that are so bound up, so weighed down with stuff from the past that we can't let go of, that we can't extend that grace or that forgiveness to other people. We need to deal with it in ourselves, first of all. The more we experience God's grace, the more we understand His forgiveness, the more we live into that reality, and by the way, it is a reality, the more gracious we become to other people. It's a process, but that's how it works. As we remember, and that doesn't mean that we dwell on the past and how awful we were, but we remember what God has done for us in Christ, and then we offer that grace and that forgiveness to other people. The more forgiving you feel, the more forgiven you feel by God, the more grace that you understand and you experience, the more gracious and forgiving you will be to other people. Here's a case in point. Some of you may be familiar with this story. One day, a woman with a questionable reputation. Now, some of the gospel writers name her. They say it's Mary. She approaches Jesus at a dinner party. You remember this story? And she took a pint of very expensive perfume, pure nard, and she pours it on the Lord's head. She begins to anoint him. Some of the other accounts say she begins to wash his feet with this perfume. Ironically, Judas was incensed by this act and he said that she could have sold the perfume and she could have given the money to the poor. That would have been the right thing to do, Judas said. But Jesus rebuked him and Jesus also rebuked those who were in agreement with Judas. Essentially, he said, lighten up. This woman has been forgiven a great deal. She's been forgiven much. 
and she's giving back. She's extending grace because grace was extended to her. Don't you get it? (laughs) He maybe didn't say that. This is how it works. This is how it works. I extended grace to this woman. Forgiveness. And she's extending that same grace back to me. In fact, it's, it's an act of worship. And because of it, the Gospel writer says that she will be remembered. She will be remembered because of her actions. Grace begets grace. Forgiveness begets forgiveness. But it's difficult. If we're going to become grace-giving people, we can never forget how much we've been forgiven by God. Each of us has been graced. Each of us has been forgiven far more than we probably will ever understand. Forgiveness begins with remembering. We remember, and then we do something very difficult. We relinquish our right to get even. We lay our burden down. We give up our right for vengeance. This is how we learn to forgive. And this idea is at the heart of forgiveness. In Romans 12:19, Paul offers this strong advice. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay says the Lord. Notice what Paul says. Don't try and get even. Don't retaliate. Don't seek revenge. As difficult as that may be, as humanly impossible as that may seem, it's God's job. There is some sort of cosmic thing going on that I don't think any of us understand. But God is the one who brings justice. You may be thinking, in fact, you are thinking, some of you, So you're saying forgiveness means that I have to give up my right to get even? That's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what forgiveness is. You give up your right to get even. You absorb the pain yourself without retaliation. Hang in there, because I'm going to say more about this. But it's unfair. Is forgiveness fair? Is forgiveness fair? There's a word for fairness. It's called justice. Justice is fair. Forgiveness is grace. And I don't think you and I have a clue what it means to be forgiven truly and to offer that kind of forgiveness. None of us deserve forgiveness. We may deserve justice. We may get justice, but we don't, forg- we don't deserve forgiveness. God is gracious, and he wants us to be gracious to other people. And there's another reason why he wants us to give up our right to get even. Because it's his responsibility. God is the judge. He is the one who will repay. He's the one who will settle the score and set the record straight. But I want to see justice. I want to settle the score. It's not your job. It's God's job. No matter how desperately you may want to get even... This is not your responsibility. You need to let it go. Who in this room has never been there? I would give anything to get even. Right? It's not our job. Our responsibility is to trust Christ with our lives and allow His peace and His grace to fill us up. So we relinquish our right to get even. But we take it a step further. 
You ready for this? We extend real forgiveness by responding to evil with good. At this point, some of you may check out. It's in Scripture. The Beatitudes. If it's not too painful, I want to read this to you. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. Who can do this? None of us. How do you know when you've genuinely forgiven someone? When you have let go? And I realize that in a room like this, we are all in process. How do you know when you can actually pray for God to bless that person that's hurt you? You'll know what forgiveness is. When you can look at the other person and see their hurt and their pain and their misery and not just your own, you'll know that you've forgiven that person, or at least you're on your way. Remember this. Hurting people, people in pain, hurt other people. We cause pain to other people when we are in pain ourselves. Isn't that true? Think of the times when you've been most hurtful to other people. It's probably when you have been in the most pain yourself. If someone has hurt you or is hurting you, it's most likely that they are desperately hurting on the inside. They are lashing out at you because they are in such pain themselves. We have to get to the point where we begin to look past what that person or those people have done to us and begin to see the root of their own pain. Begin to understand that it's called compassion, empathy. And when we can pray for God to bless them, when we can do good to those who have done wrong to us, we're responding to evil with good. I want to clarify something. I am not for one minute suggesting that we forget the wrongs that have been done to us. That we bury them, that we disregard them, that we ignore them. This isn't right. This isn't healthy. This is not appropriate. What I am suggesting is that we don't use past hurts as ammunition. That we don't pull the past hurts out to use them to retaliate on other people. And we are so good at that. Aren't we married people among us? Yes, dear, I forgive you, but just wait till it happens again. And not just married people. Most of us, I think, are willing to forgive hurt. What we're not willing to do is to let go of it. We want to hang on to it. I can't let go of this. What would happen if I really let it go? So we stockpile the pain, the hurt. We pull it out later and we use it sometimes brutally. And when we do this, we're responding to evil with evil ourselves, not with good. It's hateful, it's vengeful, and it's not what God desires. We remember and we relinquish. Remembering, relinquishing, and responding to evil with good. We also learn to forgive by repeating the process of forgiveness as long as is necessary. Repeating the process of forgiveness as long as necessary. This statement, it seems to me, summarizes everything that we can say about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. It's something that we do as long as we live over and over and over. Even when we don't feel like it. Forgiveness is ongoing 
Forgiveness is a part of the fabric of our lifestyle as a follower of Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, it is not an option for you not to forgive. Those are harsh words. They were spoken to me one time. It's not an option. Remember Peter's question to Jesus? Lord, how often should I forgive somebody who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, Peter was being generous, right? The Jewish law said that you had to forgive a person three times. So Peter doubles it and throws in one extra for good measure. Jesus says, not quite, Peter. How about 77 times, or in some translations, 70 times 7. But the point is clear. You cannot calculate forgiveness. You can't put a number of value to it. You forgive over and over and over, as many times as necessary. I'm sure that you've experienced this. You say, God, I know that bitterness is really bad for me. I know that I need to forgive. So God, I choose to forgive. And then five minutes later, you discover that you want to commit murder again. You say it again. And when the memory comes back, you say it again. And you keep offering that forgiveness to God over and over and over and over. I have no doubt that in this room, I know that many of you are carrying some deep, deep wounds. We all are. You're carrying some pain that you've carried for months, if not years. If not your entire life. And when you think about the person who hurt you through betrayal or rejection or something else, that memory is still as fresh this morning as it was when the event took place. The pain is still there. You still hurt. You are still angry and resentful. And you would give anything to let go. We all would. So what do you do? How do you get on with your life, really? How do you release this stuff? How do you clean yourself out? First of all, recognize this. You will be hurt in this life. Count on it. It's an established fact. Jesus said, in this life you will have tribulation. You will have trials. You will have difficulties. Faith in Christ is no guarantee that you won't be hurt. In fact, for some of you, I would dare say that you've probably been more hurt since you became a follower of Christ, than you were prior to that. And what is up with that? There's no way around it. Life is difficult. There's a lot of testimonies in this room. And then you've got to answer this question. What are you going to do with the hurt? If you hold on to it and let it build up in your life, you'll end up being a gnarled, shriveled up, bitter, old person. A hateful person. A person with a hard heart and you will die bitter and you'll die lonely. Because the reality is nobody wants to be around a person like that. That is just human nature. You say, you don't get it. You have no idea what that person's done to me. How deeply they've hurt me. And you know what? I don't know. But God knows and that's what really matters. I could never forgive that person. I cannot and I will not let go until that person rots in hell. Some of you feel that deeply. It's exactly why you need Jesus Christ. You can't manufacture enough love in your life to handle the difficulties and the hurts that you're going to experience. You cannot suck it up long enough or strong enough 
to deal with the stuff that's going to come your way, that has come your way, that is coming your way, that you're living in. You're going to be hurt, and you don't have enough love to overpower the pain on your own. That is a fact. You need Christ. You need His love in your life, His peace, or you will die a bitter person. Too many of my relatives have died angry, estranged, and bitter. Too many people in the church live their entire lives bound up with anger and resentment, and they die. It doesn't need to be that way. Jesus Christ can fill you with love and compassion, not just once a year, but every day of your life. Come to Him, give Him your pain, give Him your resentment, give Him your anger, give Him your hurt, give Him every bit of you, and see what happens. Say, here it is. Isn't it lovely? That's pretty honest. Isn't this great? What do you think now, God? What are you going to do with this? And I'll tell you exactly what he'll do with it. He'll take all that stuff and in some way that I don't understand, redeem it and use it and make you into a new person. Cast all your cares on him, Peter says, because he cares for you. He's with you. He's for you. He's forgiven you. And he desires that you forgive other people in the same way.